Welcome into episode 190, and this episode is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks. Los Cabos is the world's number one Canadian-made drumstick brand, and they are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Their full line of extra durable red hickory sticks includes the new 5A and 5B Black Widows, which have a glossy black paint dip and an exclusive spider logo. So if you're curious to check out some Los Cabos Drumsticks, go to loscabosdrumsticks.com backslash podcast and at that link you will be able to find a store near you where you can purchase some sticks Um, i've used a lot of their stuff i reviewed a lot of their stuff in the past high quality um, you know a full range of models so go to their website check out some some of the various things the red hickories are cool the white hickories are cool the mapers are cool they have some cool brushes practice pads all kinds of stuff our intro beat this week is by dr leo from dutch plains of the netherlands This is taken from an instrumental tune that is called Gigalope Drive, and it is based on the Ijasha pattern, which is a Brazilian pattern, but he turned it into a 7-8 groove. So let's check it out. He's using a Tama Rockstar DX kit with a 22-inch bass drum. He's got a Gretsch Mark Schulman signature snare, which is the 6x13. Um, some Zildjian 14-inch Ks, AB and HH21 Raw Bell Ride, a UFIP Crash, a Paiste China, and a bunch of percussion. So this is Dr. Leo, and let's get the show going. <laughs> oh my goodness, mid-show form, and it is minute one. How are you, buddy? Not too bad. We're a half hour into the episode and we just started. We just Welcome started. Welcome in, everyone. <laughs> Welcome in. You are going to learn about a fantastic drummer. I don't I don't want to call people this talented YouTube sensations or social media sensations because I think they're much deeper than that. It's just where we are consuming them now. But we will be talking about Lewis Cole a little bit later. We're going to check out some incredible vintage beach drums from Barton. We're going to talk about some sticking patterns and we're going to give you our picks of the week. But now it's time to get caught up. What's going on with you, man? What's going on? I've got last-minute preparations for a Day of Percussion event in Maryland. So it's the Maryland-Delaware Day of Percussion at Linganore High School tomorrow, Saturday, May 4th. I am the final clinician at 3 p.m., but the the events start at 10 a.m. So there's a timpani clinic, there's a keyboard clinic, there's a bunch of showcase like solo and ensemble performances. Should be fun. And I've been... This week, I've just been getting my head back into that mode, and you know, it's nice to it's nice to have a goal. Like, okay, I've got this event Saturday. I better practice what I'm going to do, and then all of a sudden, everything gets back into the flow of things because I yeah. certainly had hit like a wall, and I didn't even have my like loop stuff set up anymore. I was just kind of like, oh, you know, geez. stepping away from everything for a while. But I tell you what, I, I set it up. I turned on a delay, and all of a sudden, I'm inspired. I need to yeah. play within some sort of musical atmosphere to feel inspired and just a simple delay did it wow so I'm ready. i've already got an idea like i'm going to try to recreate my instagram post from yesterday tomorrow and i'm oh, going to you. explain i'm using that post to kind of explain all the content that i'm going to teach nice man so, i love it oh you're gonna oh okay you're not saying that you have an idea for instagram you're saying that's your idea for your clinic yeah. you're going to recreate your post live yeah, yeah. i'm gonna because i left it's my effects set done. up exactly it can't the same be done. way nope. <laughs> i'm Coming not gonna play note for note that's the whole point is it's 
It's an <laughs> Don't defend yourself. You can do it. It's going to be amazing. I did it this morning. I was like, let me see if I can just redo the vibe that I did yesterday. Because a lot of times that stuff just happens and it literally, I just, it's like an exorcism. It's gone and I can never get back into that energy. Sure. But not changing the effects was cool. Like, okay, I know that I just turn on the, the mixer. The delay is going to give me the same pattern. So I kind of have to fall into the same BPM, and then then we're kind of rolling. Nice. So we'll see what happens. Either way, it's going to be fun. So that's it. Linganore High School tomorrow, May 4th, 3 p.m. Uh, that's the Maryland-Delaware Day of Percussion for Percussive Arts Society. Super cool. Very cool. So speaking of inspiration, I was on the phone uh, yesterday or maybe the day before. You know Joe Arrington, right? A lot like birds. I don't know him personally, in, but yeah. Definitely okay, but you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing drummer and he's kind of one of my go-to guys when it comes to Vinnie Caliuda because I'm a rock guy Joe's a rock guy but Joe also takes that Vinnie stuff and brings it into his world Mm -hmm. and I I really just have a great friendship with Joe I really respect him so I we were talking about something completely different on the phone uh, just kind of having some bro time and then I said hey look man uh, can you kind of maybe put me into an inspirational direction with some Vinny stuff because obviously Vinny Caliuta, Dave Weckl go down the line to Tony Williams and Max Roach. It's too much to take on as I'm going to get into this person's playing mm-hmm. without at least someone to just say, start here with this track two minutes in, check this out. You know, when you and I showed, I can't remember what we were listening to. Maybe it was a, a Jing Chi track and he's playing the China in groups oh, of yeah. five. Right, right. Like that's a great place for someone to tell someone else, hey, start here and that'll take you down this road right. and whatever happens, happens. So I was asking Joe for that and he sent me this track. Uh, maybe we can play a little bit of it, but it's called, um, it's from Al Cooper, Wrestle With This, Championship Wrestling. What? Have you heard that? Yeah. No. Now, when the cover showed up, I was like, well, clearly Joe is joking. <laughs> and then I pressed play, and it is, um, if Al is still an active musician, I don't want to say I, it's representative of the time. So it looks like it's maybe early 80s. So I'm not going to call it cheesy, but I was like, well, this clearly isn't Vinny. And then all of a sudden, it was Vinny. So it's Al Cooper with a K, K-O-O-P-E-R. And the album, I believe, is called Wrestle With This Championship Wrestling. And Vinnie Caliuta is playing drums on it. Wow. What is the song called? Wrestle With This? Yep. All right. So we're going (laughs) to give it a listen. Hopefully we can find it. I think it's funny about that is if you listen to that and then you listen to what Lewis Cole is doing that we're going to, have to talk about soon. Very they're kind similar. of related in a lot of ways. Although yeah, isn't it weird? It's like tongue in cheek now, but it almost makes that old stuff sound really kind of fun, like fun, fun and cool. Like what easy, is- kid. <laughs> you got stuck on an fu twice. <laughs> it makes it really far. Really uh, Sorry for anyone that may have offended. I did not almost slur. I, I just well, I almost slur. died. I choked on my own tongue. Slur. Uh, okay, yeah. whatever. It's cool. It's a cool track. That was 1982. Yeah. Vinny, that was maybe right after Zappa. 
Yeah, and so and that was not what he he sent me that, and it was kind of a joke. But he was like, it was also kind of serious. <laughs> where I was like, even this, which is not my cup of tea. It's the drumming's still fantastic. It's yeah. still Vinny. Um, but you know, that's what's kind of weird about exactly what you were talking about is with Lewis Cole and what he did and what has been happening a lot is a lot of people are going back to that 80s cheese vibe but mm-hmm. if you just do it now it's almost like somehow it's not as cheesy i mean like look at all the stuff that wolfpack gets recognized for I they it, just it's like deliberately hip it up a little bit yeah it's like deliberately corny to the point where it's it's cool Exactly, it's and it's and weird it's magic tr- magic trick. <laughs> it's a weird thing too because it's it's I don't know. I would say it's playing '80s music, the cheesiest '80s music, but recording it like it's the '60s and '70s. So it's almost like the James Brown drum tones and the James Brown bass tones while playing kind of cheesy keyboard stuff. Yeah, but but you know, ripping at like a high level. <laughs> right, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I yeah. The first so, thing I thought about that was that's a snare drum sound to chase. That's that's a yeah. really cool sound. <laughs> I would think two <laughs> muffling rings is oh, yeah, probably, dude. you know, a half a turn above slack. The wires are really and tight. They, those were literally called zero rings. Yeah, the uh, zero rings. And then yeah, the zero rings and then the uh the Remo muffle system in the toms. Oh, Do you yes. remember those? I think I have And you had to have those, clear so. heads so that all of your friends could see that you had those muffle <laughs> rings in there. Because that made your drums better. The first real drum set I ever played on in fifth grade was a Tama Swing Star, I think, or maybe a Rock Star. And it had black ebony pinstripe heads, so you couldn't see inside the drum. Okay. And it had black ebony like ambassadors on the bottom. So you had no idea what was happening inside the shell. But it was magic. But it was the most beautiful sounding Tom sound in the world, <laughs> and I never forget it. And I know that's what it was. There was those there had to have been those those stupid Remo muffles. Yep. <laughs> but it sounded uh, so good. First time I ever played those, I was doing one of those jazz festivals where you're at someone's college and they provide the drum set for your band. And it was a uh premier signia. Mm. Uh, or was it a Signia? It was some sort of premiere, but it had. It was the first time I'd ever seen the rims mount system, the actual rims, like the company rims oh, mount right. system. Those heavy things. So <laughs> yeah, it was that giant half circle around the whole tom with the Remo muffle inside. That so makes it was like so much sense. <laughs> here's our here's our amazing sustain system. Let's choke the life out of this drum. <laughs> and as a as a sixth or seventh grader, I went. This is amazing. Yeah, it was like. Duh. Yeah, some magic trick. Like, how did you get was, that Tom? Because mine didn't sound like that at home. By the way, this was a jazz concert. So zing, 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 do, 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 zing, zing, check it a ding. I was playing Louie Louie with my fifth grade concert band on drum set. And there is a video that exists of it. I should probably convert it to digital and post it because I had a four bar drum solo in it. Of course. I My first Louie Louie was fourth grade non drum set. I was on bass drum. Nice. Doom, 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 doom. You know, just nice. the whole time, and got, and I had my knee up against the other side, all pro like. I was taking also, it seriously with that bass drum mallet. So we're digging way back. I will say that event in my life, that was fifth grade band, changed the course the the, the course of my entire life because I completely agree. It was concert band originally. The band director was going to have the percussion section, divide up the parts, and do that. One person plays cymbals, snare drum, bass drum. I just. I was a really shy kid, but for some reason, I went to the teacher after one practice. Was like, I have a drum set; I could play this whole thing. He was like, "Oh, really? <laughs> like, you sure?" Wow. I'm like, "Yeah, I can. I can just read the chart and play the whole thing." So that changed it. I became the drum set player, and it was like, 
it was a rock star moment in fifth grade to to play drum right. set in front of my entire school, in front of the entire county when we did the festival. And it's the one cool instrument in concert band yeah, or in right. any you know, school <laughs> right. band, right? I mean, you're the one that after isn't going to get thrown into the dumpster by the jocks. Right. So it's like, okay, cool, I'm good. <laughs> it changed my uh, life. Sorry, second chair clarinet. You're going to have a rough week. As goofy as yeah. it is, it literally changed no, I, the course I totally of my agree. life. When I said I agree, I didn't mean I agree that it changed your life. I mean, the exact same song, exact same setting, but mm. it was slightly different because playing that song in fourth grade in concert band and doing our winter concert, it made me really, really want to be the person that had the sticks. Candace Albert was on ride cymbal and uh, snare drum. Yeah. I was on bass drum. And I've never been, I didn't, I hadn't experienced envy in my life. I don't remember stealing kids' toys and punching <laughs> them in the throat. Like that never happened in my youth. <laughs> Not so that you it never happened to me. In the throat, didn't you? But I was like, I want, I want the sticks. Like, why do I have this mallet? And, uh, and that was like really the first time I had been pushed to chase an achievement because it was it was obvious that uh, in that time school band was such a a big deal back then that even in coming into fifth grade we had auditions who gets first chair second mm. chair third chair and I was uh, I practiced all summer long to be the person that could audition and have sticks instead of a mallet. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. There's nothing cool about like emptying your backpack like at lunch and you pull out a bass drum mallet. <laughs> Drumsticks, different story. I mean, how many days I was, because I, I walked to school in elementary school because I only lived like a half a mile away. So along the path to school was where all the buses went by. Mm-hmm. So every, whatever it was, Tuesday, Thursday, I was carrying a freaking bell kit <laughs> down the street. Oh, my. Oh, Michael <laughs> Glockenspiel, every, are you serious? Every school bus just went by, like, look at look at Dawson with his stupid bell <laughs> kit. With his Glock. Because <laughs> we had to do that for, like, half the year. He couldn't even play drums before that. Oh, oh man. Goodness so gracious. I, and nothing was heavy. And it was really f- weird that my parents didn't <laughs> pick me up on those days. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, that's so awesome! I always but felt I bad for dedicated. the tuba kid, but now I should have felt bad for the, the the kid that got stuck on the Glockenspiel. All right, let's start oh, moving man. forward. We got to talk about some sticking patterns. The six-stroke roll—it is something that so many people utilize it, and I would say it might be one of the things that people utilize the most as far as groups of people that don't know they're using it. They just do it. It's this thing, and they're like, yeah, I'm just playing triplets. And it's like, well, you are, but you have a sticking pattern that's attached to those triplets, and that is the sticking pattern of the six-stroke roll. So Bill Bachman has a piece called Eights and Sixes in this month's Strictly Technique section uh, in this month's issue of Modern Drummer. Yes. So we're going to break this thing down a bit. This is the third part in the series, and this one he's talking. He's kind of he's kind of dissected, uh, I guess it could be the, the paradiddle diddle or the six-stroke right. roll. Uh, into just one three note chunk so you've got right left left or left right right and then the you know the inverse of it right right left or left left right so he's isolating each of those nuggets and and putting those into a, a real organized practice system which has been fun for me to work on this because I, I think i said a month ago that my i have no control over six sextuplets like i just okay. play them and then hope i land on the next quarter note <laughs> like I have no way to kind of hear them correctly. This helps to go like so. The first exercise is four eighth notes with the right, so right, 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 and then you do two sextuplets, but the sticking is left, right, right, left, right, right, left, right, right, left, right, right. So you establish the eighth note pulse, 
with the right hand, and then you play the sextuplets using the left hand to then play the eighth notes while the right hand fills in the sixteenth notes. Does that make sense? One and two and one and two and one and two hey! and one and two. You've and never one. been the tapper. I'm so proud of you. I'm always wondering, like, man, I don't want to bring it up, but how come he never taps? He's so good, but why won't he tap live? Is he scared? You crushed it, man. That was great. A little great. bit. So just having that, like, I'm able to just think eighth notes, and I think that would be helpful for anyone who has a hard time controlling sextuplets. Sure. Use one hand, plays the eighth notes, and the other hand just fills in the rest of the triplets. That's yeah. helping me a lot. But then it goes into, right away, in example two, he kind of flips the script, and then it's the sextuplets, are, the sticking is left, left, right, left, left, right, left, left, right, left, left, right. Immediately, I'm starting to lose my confidence in that eighth note. Now, here's one thing that's happening in example number two that would throw at least my drumming off. Left, left, right, no problem at all, as long as you let me accent the right. The upbeat. Oh, yeah. He's got you accenting the downbeat or the eighth notes. So left, left is going to need an accent followed by a ghost yep. or, or a lower or a hit. Tap, yeah. Yeah, tap. So for a lot of people that haven't worked on that, that in itself, that's that one little skill right there is what's stopping 90% of people's halftime shuffle is yeah. the accent on the left followed by the tap. Downstroke and a low tap. Yeah, that's yep. crucial. And I've been messing with that with the beatnik. And I got to tell mm. you, you, that that thing does not lie. I go from, I can play you know, six hook rolls and stuff. Maybe seventy five, eighty percent accuracy. Maybe with this sticking with the accent on the first left, I'm at like forty five percent accuracy. Mm-hmm. It, it's a huge drop off. Even though it kind of feels like I'm right, but it's that spacing right. between the first and second note. It gets yeah. crushed all the time. Yep. Yeah. So that's that. And then he, what does he keep? I mean, it kind of progresses. So if you have, we're talking about the June issue, which is brand new. If you haven't seen it yet, it's just out. It's got a uh, Marcus Gilmore on a cover who we will talk about probably next week, but there's just a series of exercises. And then what he does, which is something I love about Bill's teaching, he likes to isolate each hand in a combination sticking pattern, which I think is really important for understanding not just the totality of whatever, a pair diddle diddle, but what is the rhythm that each hand is playing within that? It's so important. If you can't hear the hand, what's going to happen is you might be a fantastic practice pad drummer or a fantastic snare drum player, but you are not going to be able to use this stuff on the, on the, on the drum set because as soon as you split those hands up, the first time any of us played a paradiddle between two services, we realized, oh, well, that's not a paradiddle. Yeah, it's like, right. no, it is. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Your ear just can't handle this. So, yeah, by on like exercise number four, when you're seeing, okay, what's that crazy shape? Oh, that crazy shape is what the right hand does in a paradiddle diddle. Yep. Yep. You know, one and it's a not hand, crazy one at all. Hand, one a yep. Hand, one a <laughs> exactly. It's like and a backwards one thing jazz that, ride pattern. Exactly. And one thing that people can do if you're thinking about this at home, play paradiddle diddles on a single surface. And then just take your left hand and p- keep playing it so you don't lose time, but play it in the air. Can you see that my hand's in the air, everybody? No? <laughs> Weird. But I, I am playing in the air, and that's so I'm still playing. My body's still feeling it. The thing that I'm doing in the air is helping me keep overall time. I'm not left out on my own, but I don't hear it anymore, and that isolates the hand. I do that all the time with rudiments. Um, I don't think most people have any idea that flam taps are groups of three. 
per hand. Yeah, no, because they hear two. it as yeah. one, two, one, two, one, yeah. two. And it's like, well, put your left hand in the air, and you'll hear you're going da 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 da. Yeah, and why and the other are, are flam paradiddles so freaking hard? Well, because there's four <laughs> notes in a row. <laughs> exactly, and is no it one, it's like five. It's uh, it's three, right? Right, left, right, right, and then you have oh, flam. Right. Oh no, it's four. Yeah, yeah it's, it's four. four. Yeah. Yeah, so it's four. That's why. <laughs> well, and it, you know what's funny is like flam paradiddles, flamadiddles. People really get bummed out when they go, but I can do paradiddles at two thirty. Why are my flamadiddles yeah. at one forty? It's like, no, that's about right. <laughs> yeah, it's like how, how fast can you play exercise thirteen from stick control where it's right, 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 left, 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 left. <laughs> and welcome to Mike and I being nerds. <laughs> All right, so I have something for you here. Let's. I want to. Um, this is just a little mini lesson that I want you to take a okay, little bit further. Let's do it. This will help you with this. Okay, so take his same sticking. So mm-hmm. we're only going to have two chunks of notes: right, left, left, and mm-hmm. left, left, right. I want your accent to always uh, on the right, left, left. It'll be the first note: right, left, left, right, left, left, right, left, left. Okay. Yep. And we're going to call that A. So every time you say to yourself A. A is three notes long. A, 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 A. Okay. B will be the other sticking, but you're going to accent the left, right, right, mm-hmm. left, right. So the upbeats. Okay, so if I gave you A, A, B, B, it would be A, A, B, B. A, A, B, B. So what you do is you go through stick control doing that. If you had a paradiddle, it'd be A, B, A, A, B, A, B, B, A, B, A, A, B, A, B, B. So every right in stick control is A, every left is B. Is B, yep. And it, and it gets these really hip versions of six-stroke rolls happening with the accents being in, in very cool places. And once you do that and really move that... Oh, I, there's no way I can do this on a desk. <laughs> that was the paradiddle sticking of A, B, A, A, B, A, B, B. All of a sudden, people's snare drum jazz soloing makes way more sense. Yeah, right. And that's, you're like, okay, okay. It is. Yeah, interesting. So there's yeah. a question about as an, as an educator, because how many pages is stick control? It's like 50 pages? Uh, for me, one. I yeah. just do my favorite one, yeah. <laughs> same, same with uh, syncopation. Yeah. So Summary how, number how one. How far do you go before you say, okay, now do your own thing with it? So what I do is I sing swung accent patterns um, and then I try to make that happen with my hands. So I'll just sing a pattern. So you're learning the concept of... of yeah, eventually I walk away from this whole thing. I, I never want to be thinking A, B, A, A, B, A, B, yeah. B, anything like that. But sometimes you just need something to force you into these exercises because somebody didn't hand write them for you. Yeah. Um, and it's... I mean, if I wrote that whole exercise out... That's a full bar of sextuplets. That's 24 total notes. If I write out A, A, B, A, A, B, A, B, B, that's a little bit easier for some people to understand when they're looking at a page, especially if they don't sight read music very well. Mm-hmm. Um, sight reading 16th note triplets, even at 40 BPM, y- your eyes are moving, you know, if you're not used to it. Yeah, exactly. So, so sometimes it's a little bit easier for people to understand it that way. But the great thing is what that opens up for you. If that was possible... Mm-hmm. And you got used to that. Why would you not think there's got to be a linear version of this? A equals right left kick. B equals kick right left. Yeah. Now, and now you've got a drums. Now we're getting into yeah. <laughs> that's that's the goods because then once you unlock this concept of oh I can substitute anything for the right, anything for the left. Now yes. you're on a path of self discovery that 
I find really intriguing. And that's the art. I mean, I, I think the reason why stick control and syncopation have been around as long as they have is because none of us have to do the same thing with it. So it's a brand new adventure for everybody, for every drum teacher, for every private instructor that's taking their students down a new path. And heads up, students, your private instruction your teacher is just experimenting with you. You're just a pawn in his game. <laughs> He's like, let's try this, but we'll do it at a tempo so slow that you're learning it, and so am I. <laughs> uh, and then if it's cool, the next student gets to learn it with a little more authority from the teacher. Not from personal experience. Yeah. I mean, I only teach what I absolutely know. But so All right, first so, student of the day for Mike Johnston is the guinea pig for everything so, else. That's why I don't teach private lessons anymore. <laughs> <laughs> to do it on camera, you have to teach it about 40 times in a row before you press record. <laughs> and by the way, I'm, I'm just now uh, recording. We'll talk about the hand speed course on a different day courses, but I'm recording my first metric modulation course. Mm-hmm. And it's been a, a real deep dive into the exploration of implied metric modulation doing it's one thing teaching other people how to do it you have to go way deeper Mm. you have to truly understand it not that surface level where it's like well i can do it so what does it matter it's like yeah but you're you're gonna explain to somebody else and i had to really also steer away from something that you know i thought i own aaron sterling's metric modulation course Mm -hmm. and i thought i mean you know when those came out, this dude was not a on-camera, everyday person. I actually thought the course was really good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was incredible. But one thing that I noticed was his course was so predicated on polyrhythms that if you didn't know what polyrhythms were and didn't understand three over four and four over three, you could be in trouble before it even starts. Absolutely, yeah. So I tried to reverse engineer the process and say, okay, I'm going to eventually have polyrhythm courses on my site. So I can't assume that the person seeing this site or seeing this, excuse me, this course, this implied metric modulation course will even know what that stuff is. So I, I found some new ways to make it much more simple to understand. Uh, so I'm going to be filming that today and tomorrow. So I'm, I'm really excited to get that going. And I w- I'll love, I'd love to send it to you and just see what you think of it. Yeah, for sure. And I think you hit on a, a really important point for all of us as, as aspiring educators or even just in your own practice it worked for me when I was preparing for PASIC. I recorded each five-minute chunk of my clinic as if I was doing an online course. Mm-hmm. Like, sit down in front of the camera, explain exactly what you're trying to do, and then find, do I really understand this information? Am I really using the most concise explanation of this information? Can I demonstrate it in a clear enough way? It was really helpful to the point where, like, if I hadn't done that, I think I would have been pretty insecure going into that clinic. But knowing that I'd done it, I'd reviewed my own stuff, I'd test it with a bunch of people. You proved it. I'm like, okay, I can do it. I can I can teach how to yeah. improvise with two one and two limb independence. I can teach how to improvise with fragmented sticking patterns. Like, cool. Let's now let's go do it and have fun. At each clinic I'm just kind of refining it. But if I hadn't done that initial step of can I do a twenty minute version of this entire concept? And have it be something I'd be proud to sell to someone potentially. Super helpful. Yeah. So if you're if you're a teacher, record your own lesson once or twice to see how it oh, how it translates. Definitely. I think definitely. Really and I, I want to make sure that I'm teaching in a way to the camera that if there was a crowd there, there wouldn't be hands being raised in the middle of the explanation. Yeah, right. That Good means point. I skipped something. If they mm-hmm. if they're raising their hands and I'm, and I have to say I'll get to you at the end. 
that means that you're already lost. Your hand's up because you're lost and you're confused and I did something wrong. So that's something that's really important for me. And I think coming back to your clinic point, which really ties into Bill Bachman's article, he's stoked right now. Uh, you know, when I'm getting ready for a clinic, even though it all makes sense in my head, because you and I grew up in school band, then we grew up playing in bands. One of the things that I'm very comfortable with is, hey, we have our first show coming up. Let's run the set three times tonight. We're not practicing. There is no stopping. And so that's part of me getting ready for a new season of clinics is I stand on my stage here at the studio and I deliver all 45 minutes, recorded or not, to make sure that, okay, does this whole thing tie together? This yeah. all made sense in my head, but now that I'm doing it for real, How's it feel? Yeah. I can change anything right now, but I can't change it when I'm in Dubai. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, everybody. You mentioned that before, and I, and I <clears throat> had every intention of doing that. I mean, I guess recording it was kind of my version of that. Um, but I also found it very valuable to just sit and kind of meditate and literally play through the entire clinic in my head in real time. I did that on the That's, plane flying yep. to Indianapolis. I did that in my hotel room the day before. Just, I said, yeah. 45 minutes, I'm going to, like, word for word, just kind of play through the whole thing and see how it unfolds. And that that helps so much. I mean, it was I think that helps as much, if not more. I mean, that's my whole float tank thing. That's what I do is I sit mm-hmm. in that weightless, soundless, uh, photonless tank, and I just go through the clinic. And the cool thing is I can actually do 45 minutes of clinic probably in 15 minutes in my head because the things are playing and fast forward and it's, mm. it's happening much quicker. I'm not saying every single word, but, and, and I'm rewinding the tape and then changing the reality of it. Now it's getting a little silly, but I am going back and going, no, 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 no back it up. That's not going to work. We can't go from there to there. Or I'm really thinking a lot of times, okay, I'm not doing PASIC. I'm not doing a massive festival. I'm playing in stores. There's going to be zero room for me to walk there is no front of the stage. It's going to be my kit in the middle of a drum store right. with people crowded around me. So am I comfortable delivering this information with passion from the drum throne? I'm so used to turning it into almost like a stand-up routine. Like as soon as my first track's over, I grab the mic and I'm walking to the front of the stage mm. to, to give a presentation. Well, can I give that same passion and that same energy sitting from a drum stool? So all those things matter. Check out Bill Bachman's article. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's called Eights and Sixes. And honestly, though, this stuff really will unlock a lot of doors for you, especially if you're getting stuck. If you feel, I'll just tell you right now, if you're somebody that every time you play a sextuplet fill or a 16th note triplet fill, if you always do single strokes, please check out this article. Yeah. Because that used to be my biggest weak point was I had all these sticking patterns for 16th notes. And as soon as it was 16th note triplets, it was... That was it. You get the around the world fill. I mean, I overuse the... Uh, six stroke roll. I mean, it's one of those where every time I play it now, I'm like, ugh, he did it again. Like, just don't. Right, yeah, it do just it. kind of flows out of just you. Stop yeah. doing it. But yeah, if you haven't, if you're not a subscriber, I don't know if everyone's aware of this, uh, you're allowed to check out any of content on moderndrummer.com. Uh, I think you can get up to three free articles. So if you don't subscribe to the magazine, you can still go to the website, check out this article in its completion. Um, hopefully you dig it and you'll want to subscribe. But I don't think I've ever mentioned that before, that we, we allow non-subscribers to access to, I, I believe it's three articles a month uh, free of charge. So go check it out, com. That's the Strictly Technique eight, Eights and Sixes Part 3. So you could do your three free articles right there, Part 1, 2, and 3 by Bill Bachman. That's enough for that infomercial. 
Boom. Uh, unintentional, but it was. I think it needed to be No, said. I think it's great. Great information. Now it is time to talk about Mr. Lewis Cole. Yeah, so he is featured. I thought it would be cool to talk about him before we talk about Marcus Gilmore. Um, Lewis is in this current issue. Uh, I'm trying to open the story now. It's the June issue. Um, I was not aware of him until he'd already kind of become a YouTube sensation. So reading this story, I didn't do the story, but kind of reading his background, um, it kind of reaffirms to me that he's not a he's not like a genius of of online marketing. He's a very serious, dedicated artist, musician. Um, right. And I think that kind of, for me, it just reaffirms the whole idea that you can have all the marketing tools and whatever, but if you're just really dedicated to your art and your craft, you're going to succeed at some point. You're going to yes. find your way. And he just found his way, and YouTube just happened to be his avenue, doing like really kind of tongue-in-cheek, lo-fi videos to the point right. now where he's, I mean, he's bona fide touring artist. Appearing yeah, on Volpex opening for yeah, I mean, he's, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, it's insane. Well, <clears throat> but really, if you think about it, has anything changed at all, even from like the 50s and 60s? You can be a one-hit wonder. You can figure out all the marketing and, and buy some followers and crush it for about a year. But eventually people will figure out that it's a little fake and you're, you you yeah. don't really have any depth. Then the people that build and build and build and are constantly delivering quality quality whether it be videos or albums or whatever but everything they play on is quality it's going to be a slow build but eventually those million views those are a million people that are truly invested in you and they've been along with you or been with you for the journey and i will take the slow build any day over the meteoric rise because it means you have a career for the rest of your life absolutely so i thought it'd be cool to kind of do like a, a quick retrospective on lewis's um YouTube world. I mean, obviously, check out his band Knower. We'll we'll drop in one of those as well. But it's kind of, I think it's kind of cool. So the first video he posted was May twenty seventh, two thousand ten. And what I think is awesome is it kind of establishes his aesthetic, which is lo fi. I'm in my bedroom playing my drums, but there's definitely something fresh and really artistic about it and also he, he's still kind of figuring it all out so i love this kind of like origin story with his youtube channel so it's this one's called lewis cole plays some drum and bass I don't know. Did he do this? Is this on you know deliberately kind of silly because he's in his cl- in a closet in a bedroom closet, or is that literally just I, where his drums are it. set up? I, I guarantee <laughs> that that's the part of his room that has the most room for him to sit behind a kit. I've been there before. Uh, I love that he's got the Mac open, and I'm and I'm still wondering: Am I hearing his camera, or am I hearing the <laughs> microphone that's recording his drums? Because it's it's kind of got that. May 2010 YouTube vibe. Yeah, uh, it's in four by three ratio instead of sixteen <laughs> by nine. I love that. Uh, and you know, he's got the whole. He definitely was probably a jazz fan and watched a bunch of uh, Bill Stewart's Modern Drummer video where he's got the chunk missing from his symbol because <laughs> he's got that going on. Uh, also, let's mention 
open-handed player. So left-hand lead right. on a right-hand kit. Yep. Um, and, okay, this is old, but that was still pretty awesome. That was killing. I think he was, might have been like 22, 23 at that point. Yeah, he was smashing it. He's killing, but he's just trying to figure his way. I, I think he was probably a huge fan of Square Pusher as well, and yeah, that's right. the music he wanted to play. So that is his first video. Now, his first sort of semi-viral video was posted on, what is this, June of 2011, and this showcases Lewis Cole, the songwriter. So not only can he play drum and bass, but this is him really stepping out and singing and producing and creating a full, fully realized artistic statement. Um, so this is called Below the Valleys. that it's it's a different level of of artistry because now we're going wait a minute i thought you were a drummer yeah but you're singing as good as the lead singer would be in your band you're playing guitar as well um and i it's got almost like this mix between beck meets the beach boys it's just incredible yeah with the like still lo-fi distorted drums kind of flaming lips kind of sound i mean it's Again, it, he's he's already showcasing to me that this is this is not just someone who's trying to get views on YouTube. He's just using YouTube as an outlet for just all this crazy art that's swimming around in his brain. Mm-hmm. All right, so then I think if you want to call this the first like fully realized Lewis Cole the brand video, um, it's the one I think is called Mean It, and it was posted in 2016. This one is is upwards of 700,000 views at this point, but this is. I think this is what caught most people's attention. It's kind of weird and awkward, and there's like a dummy arm, and like he's kind of taking that bedroom drummer thing to like a deliberately strange universe. And just so you guys know, uh, dummy arm is not a uh, <laughs> an adjective or something. There's an, a fake arm sticking out of the back of his laptop <laughs> right? in the video. Yeah. yeah. That's not Mike Dawson going like, yeah, he's got you know a deep snare bed and a dummy arm and a two and one who's he what's it with the swinginator off off the uh, hipper valve. No, so <laughs> right. he's he's like he's creating loops on the fly and then playing drums over top while also kind of leading a band. It's pretty darn impressive and it has such a cool like eighties retro feel. So let's check it out. It's called Mean It. say bad about that that is epic <laughs> it's super cool it's, it's it. kind of like a sign you know like you're gonna make art with what you got so he's got a room and some like probably low budget cameras and whatever let's just make something cool out of it and uh yeah he's got his name on the back of his keyboard written in sharpie um <laughs> love it absolutely love it okay now when we get to 2017 with the bank account post that is epic because it's so it's one of those things where as soon as you see it you realize 
anyone could have done this, but they can't do it until they steal it from him. Yeah. And I love stuff like that. I, that. In drumming, that's my favorite stuff. Like, yes, that Phil Collins fill was simple, but you can only do it because he did it for you. Exactly. Now you can recreate it. And that's yeah. what I think about this one. So this is the one, it's called Bank Account. So this is his first, I think it says his first million view video. And this one really caught me just because of the humor. I mean, it's a song called Bank right. Account. And, but at the same time, he composed, he's singing, he's playing keyboards, he's playing drums. It's pretty And if you're, a, if you're a musician, even though there's really only two lines in this, you identify highly with both lines. <laughs> right. You know exactly what he's talking about if you've been a gigging <laughs> musician. I don't want to check my bank, bank account. I'm too scared to check my bank check account. Check my bank account. Hit single. <laughs> done. Check my bank account. And the thing is, like that could have been ten songs in the in the seventies funk era with a different lyric, and it would have been a hit. (laughs) I mean, it's a great song. (laughs) It's pretty appropriate. Anyone who's who's in the current state of affairs with student loan debts and all of that. I mean, it yes. just falls right in line. It's super cool. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so that is the, I think that was kind of when it was well, he established himself as a bona fide star. And now let's go to his band. Nowhere. This is a recent video um, posted. I mean, 2017, but this is his band performing live in, in, I guess it's his apartment still has that same aesthetic. Yeah, but this is something pretty cool because it's very easy. Uh, okay, easy. Now, Johnston, it's easier to build up a following, say, on your own, and you have dedicated fans. To grow more fans for a group project is actually harder because the fans love identifying with one person. Getting them to identify with a group, now you're asking them to get into the taste and the feel of multiple people. Not mm-hmm. as easy to do. The fact that this is not released under his name. This is released under Noah's account, and it has almost 3 million views right now. That's incredible. So this is a song called Overtime. Uh, So if you're looking for it on YouTube, it's Overtime Live Band Sesh, S-E-S-H, Noah. What's the tempo? that they keep cutting to the keyboard player's face i mean the, the yes. just the humor and all of his art it's almost like i i don't know if he's taking it seriously and it's just funny to the world who observes it or if if he's just got the 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 humor of a stand-up comic who also is an amazing musician it's right well, i i kind of feel like he's entertaining himself instead of us we just happen to be entertained by it yeah. but he doesn't really care what we think funny or not he's yeah. like i can see him <laughs> cracking himself up while editing this, and then he uploads it without any care of what anyone else thinks. The one thing that I really love about this, though, is 
from the 2010 video forward, he was showing us that he was this multi-talented musician. Now we're getting to see him as a true badass drummer in a band setting where he's not the band. Yeah. There's a bass player, there's a vocalist, there's a sax player, there's a keyboardist. (laughs) I love that when he he flips his stick awkwardly, there's a huge logo that pops up that says stick trick and he's just like barely making it <laughs> barely, barely making it, it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so now have you ever had a chance to meet him no not yet not yet we need Hopefully to make that so. happen yeah he's he's the real deal i think he represents the modern crop of of you know you can't take yourself too seriously but you should take your art pretty darn seriously like that's right i think is super important and you know we all get so caught up in if we're doing it right, the right thing or playing well or being impressive. Yeah. And I think if you focus more on having fun and finding out what the heck you are going to do, what's your contribution? Because if you trace these videos, it's it came. I think the first one there was nuggets of the aesthetic, but you really didn't know where he was going to go with that drum and bass stuff to where he's at sure. now. I mean, it was, yeah. it's a few years, but not a lifetime. He figured it out. Now he's fully realized. Uh, it's one of my favorite players and just just inspiring artists so For we sure. didn't dig into the story at all but check it out it's in the june issue uh, available online now we need to once again thank our sponsor los cabos drumsticks which is a canadian drumstick brand in fact they are the number one canadian drumstick brand they have a full catalog of stuff so go to their website check out the various models they have all your standard sizes but also some more um, you know unique different different shapes and sizes and they have red hickory as well as white hickory and maple um, the red hickory is an extra durable type of hickory and they just added a black finish version of that which they're calling black widow and that is available in their 5a and 5b so if you want some black painted sticks for your band if that fits your vibe check those out otherwise go to loscabosdrumsticks.com backslash podcast and at that link you can find out where the nearest los cabos dealer is to you so you can go down and check out some sticks they are having a um drum month at long and mcquaid so check it out loscabosdrumsticks.com backslash podcast to find a steer uh, store near you all right now it is time to get into some sweet candy the Barton Vintage Beach drum set. So I actually didn't know until reading this article. I've, I follow Barton on Instagram. I've, I've been a fan of their drums since seeing them. I think I saw them maybe... I know I saw them this year at NAMM, but maybe I saw them at the London Drum Show or the UK Drum Show. But I've, I've really loved their aesthetic. But I had no idea they were a California-based company. Yeah, so um, hopefully I'm not misrepresenting them but they are a california based company they work with a factory in china or somewhere in asia so that's how they're able to produce these relatively low cost drum sets but still have a boutique kind of vibe Um, so the kit i reviewed is the vintage beach so it has 100 percent beach shells um, in a, like a vintage style, what, what is the finish called? It's like a tiger bartex stripe wrap. Love the finish. Yeah, super cool, super vibey. So I feel like they they've kind of been able to to give give the drummer who can't afford a custom shop kit or a high end vintage kit something that'll give them that vibe. Yeah, um, and it still sounds good. So it's not like you're getting like a cheap generic version of it. Uh, what is the price of this thing? I, I was kind of shocked. Oh, like it's highly um, affordable. Yeah, it's like list price is like basically like a thousand dollars for the four piece kit. 
or you know, it's two toms and a bass drum, and then the matching snare is only three hundred dollars. Three hundred bucks. So if you're looking at thirteen hundred dollars for this kit, that is what makes people like you and I talk about back in my day. Because yeah. that's some bullshit right there. Back in my day. <laughs> Thirteen hundred dollars got you a Remo practice pad and a pair of JoJo <laughs> nylon tip sticks. <laughs> this kid's amazing. The JoJos, I think it's the. You remember those? Jo- I still have a pair of big old like marble sized tips yep. on those things. Yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> but they were they never even got the luxury of having their own slots at the drum shop. They were always in a bucket that like Folgers the coffee JoJos. can. Like all right, JoJos, oh take a pair, God. any pair, two dollars. I rocked them JoJos for some, a long time. Some kids had JoJos. I always had hot sticks. Hot sticks, Oof, <laughs> man. <laughs> JoJo's and hot sticks. I think, I'm not sure, but I, I think I remember bringing that up to Vader. And they were like, yeah, we used to make those. Because, you know, Vader was like the Keller shells for a long time yeah, of drumsticks. Right, they right. made a lot of people's sticks for them. And I was like, oh, man, then I'm back home. <laughs> it's all good. All right, let's talk about this kit. So let me ask you this right now. Mm-hmm. Not Barton related, but related to this thing. What do you get out of beach? Why is beach still, it just won't go away? We think it's all maple and birch, maple and birch, and then every three or four years, beach makes a comeback. Well, I think probably sonar has a big part in that because that's kind of their definitive wood is the beach. That's what sonar is kind of their landmark timber. Um, Okay. Obviously, they offer everything else as well, but I think when I think of what's the classic sonar sound, it's beach. And what is the sound of beach? In my experience, it's it's punchier than maple, but it's not as kind of snappy as birch. Okay. So, so this is an in-between wood. In-between wood, um, favoring higher tunings all around. Although I was able to get the bass drum to go pretty low, the floor tom and, and rack tom kind of wanted to be in that mid-range kind of Mid tuning. or higher. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah, so they, they kind of... Uh, I play, took them on a gig, and it was interesting... <laughs> They decay really fast, so the, okay. you know, there's not a ton of sustain to kind of deal with, which was cool for for miking. But at the same time, it also was very revealing. Like if you play really sparse tom fills, you're not going to get that long blooming resonance. It's just sure. it hits, it, qu- it quits, it's done. Um, I hate to say it, but that would be an awesome kit for a lot of the chop masters out there. That yeah. that decay really messes up the clarity of of kind of playing some fast stuff. So if you were playing pop punk or anything that was really quick that would be something really cool these are also slight slightly thicker shells as well you've got seven ply toms and nine ply kick so um well you want to give it a little listen yeah let's check it out
All right, maybe this is because I'm on this kick, but is that's the 299 snare? Yeah. That thing sounded great. Yeah. No, they do what they need to do. They're 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 I mean, the whole kit sounded great, but I, I totally forgot that you also had the snare that came with it. So I was kind of listening just to the drums, and then I saw the Barton logo on the head. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I think that's the 299 snare, which, I mean, 299 snare, you there's, get what you pay for sometimes. Yeah, there's not many wood drums in that price range that I would recommend anyone get. This one was very impressive. It sounded good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, we didn't even talk about the sizes. So this is like a, um, I guess that's what you would call a progressive jazz setup, right? It's the 8 by yes, 12 sir. rack tom, 14 by 14 floor, 14 by 20 bass drum. The snare drum was a little bit bigger. It's a 6.5 by 14, all with the beat shells. Um yeah, and they came with Aquarian heads, which was nice to see. They weren't they weren't they you know the cheap Asian made heads that you get with a lot of this price point. <clears throat> they were quality heads. The bass drum had the um I think it was a super kick too. I really? Believe. But it sounded good. It worked well in the gig. I didn't have to muffle anything. Um Okay, so the the sound is one thing. The feel of this kit was interesting, which I think is probably beach. They were kind of like rubbery feeling. Okay. You can either think of that as good or bad, whatever, however you want to put that adjective. But they had like a rubbery response. Like I felt like, huh? It's just hard. I don't know how else to describe it. I feel like the sticks were kind of just bouncing, not rebounding, but like just kind of bouncing. The drums had some kind of give to them. Okay. <clears throat> Which, you know, I don't know what that means, but I think that's just a characteristic of Beach. It, they made them yeah. kind of punchy. Like the attack was just kind of more like a. Like you, like a, a rubber mallet kind of a vibe. Got it. Now I couldn't, I, I, I hadn't scanned the entire article, but do you know what kind of bearing edges were on here? You know, I don't think I took the heads off the check. Son of a! I didn't. Well, there we go. More work to be done here on the Modern Drummer Podcast by Mike and Mike. We will bring that inf- information to you next week. Uh, but I, I do, I, I have to say that. The the most confusing part about Barton, and I don't know if you feel this way, but this is – by the way, most people should know I don't work for Modern Drummer. So um, when I say something, I'm just giving you the best opinion I can, but I don't get to review this stuff. I don't know these people. Uh, the confusing thing about Barton is they look so good, you don't put them in the price point in your mind that they are. Yeah. Right, and so I when I, I'd seen them twice, and then somebody I, I think I just saw them at a shop eventually on my last clinic tour, and I was like, "What? What are you guys doing? Like a blow it out your earnest sale? Like what, <laughs> why is this thing eleven hundred dollars? Like that's the price. That's not sale." And I was like, "I don't understand. This thing looks like a custom kit. You know, even their you look at like their gold sparkle wrap. It's like okay, that's that's like the gold sparkle that you would see on a four thousand dollar custom kit." Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so whatever they're doing, they're doing it well. How did you feel about the hardware? Like, I could tell the bass drum spurs had like a a vibe to them, but I couldn't really see in the picture. Yeah, they're the the kind of old school. I mean, it's a the vintage style kit, so it has like the gall gall style wing uh, spurs. So you can't really adjust the height; they just kind of wrap around the shell, um, right. which is similar to what you get on an old Ludwig kit or whatever. Um, there's no tom mounts, so you have to you have to put in a snare basket or add your own system. Um, yeah, the hardware I had no issue with at all. Um, floor tom legs were just standard fare. It's, it's really kind of like a like 
no fuss. This is just a, a drum yeah. set, and it has. It just a happens vibe. to look fantastic. Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree. Now, for those of you that need to spend more money to validate that you have a really nice drum set, they do have. Uh, you can check out their vintage mahogany kit that goes for about two thousand uh, dollars, and it's got this gorgeous ribbon mahogany. But definitely a company that I think will be around for a very long time. Uh, they're doing things the right way. Yeah, if you don't and follow so, them on Instagram, they do a lot of like like blowouts on there. Like we've got two of these left. Get them for this price. Cool. Do it today. So definitely follow them on Instagram. They, I think they I think they kind of special order everything. So they get like a batch of this finish and a batch of this finish. And then when they're gone, you might not see them for a couple of years. I think that's kind of their strategy. So keep your eye out on their page. They might have something going up that you might want to pick up. Definitely cool. Awesome. This, for me, this would be an ideal everyday gigging kit that has more vibe than just your off-the-shelf generic mass-produced drum set. Love it. All right. So you can check that out. Now it is time to get into y'all's questions. All right. Our first one here is from uh, Buzzbar. With a four mic setup, do I want to gate the kick and snare so that nothing else bleeds through, or do I let the bleed and mix it in with overheads? He says, my snare is really coming into my kick mic. Should I somehow filter that out? Mm. Sounds like a question for you. Uh, with four mics, I would not gate it because you're going to hear that gate opening and closing so prominently. Um, I would deal with it via mic placement. So if your snare is bleeding into your kick mic, that means your kick mic is probably aimed at your snare. So mm-hmm. just yep. angle it. So if, 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 you're, if the mic is inside the drum, try angling it off to the floor tom side or something to get more of the back of the mic, you know, the side of the mic aimed at the snare. Yeah. Um, That'd be my suggestion, and yeah, the bleed, the bleed is part of the sound. So, if you're finding that the bass drum and snare mic are making the overhead sound small, then you've got a phasing problem to deal with. You can definitely have phasing with that bass drum mic versus the overheads. So, even with four mics, you've got to you've got to assess all of that. There's no foolproof setup, no full foolproof position. But I think your number one problem, if the kick mic is getting too much snare, then you need to aim it away from the snare in some way. Sounds good. Okay, next one is from... There's one that actually printed properly. This one's from Dustin. This one's for you, because I don't wear any jewelry of any kind. Um, Have you noticed any negative... Let's take out the word jewelry. (laughs) Have you noticed any negative impacts... To, uh, to your watches from wearing them when you mm. play. So it looks That's like really he's looking to purchase a, a nice watch and doesn't want to potentially, I guess, damage it while he's playing. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard quite a few watch guys reach out to me and say, hey man, you should seriously take that off. You've got a, a not overly cheap watch and you're playing. I would say a couple things. One, if I was playing the way I used to play where I was really swinging for the fences, I would not play with a watch on. Taking my watch off at the end of the day um, I've worn a watch, gosh, I think since around like the time that I was ending my touring. So since I was like 26, so uh, it's been about 16 years that I've always had a watch on. Mm. And so when I take it off my hand, my arm actually feels awkward. Um, it's weird when I put my watch on my, my left hand, cause I wear my watch on my right hand, which is backwards. Um, but my dad was left-handed, so I always saw his watch on his right hand. Okay. So that's why I wear my watch on my right hand. 
So anyways, when I put it on my left hand, going to reveal a little too much for you guys right now. Sometimes I put two watches on and ask the wife, this one or this one, this one or this one. And so I've got one on each hand. The one on my left hand, I'm like, am I really adding that much weight to my right hand? Oh, That's wow. insane because I can feel it so yeah, much. Yeah. But when it's on my right hand, which is my watch hand, I don't feel it at all. It actually evens out my arms. So um, I'm comfortable wearing it more than I am not wearing it. It feels normal to me to have it on. It feels not normal to have it off. But as far as if I cannot recommend that you play drums with an expensive watch. Um, but I've kind of just decided. I can tell you this. I have um, quite a few watches in a certain price range from multiple brands. And I haven't had a problem at all. But I have had cheaper automatic watches that did actually stop working. And I don't know if it was just because I was drumming in them or just because they were cheaper automatic watches. But they stopped working within like two years, which is a very short amount of time. I mean, an automatic watch doesn't take a lot of abuse unless you're playing drums. So I don't recommend it. And whenever I send in one of my nice watches to be repaired to the company, I'm sure some guy from Switzerland will call me and be like, what did you do? And (laughs) and I will lie my ass off and go, nothing. Everything is all twisted up in here. What the heck did you do? Nothing. I actually walk around town with my right arm in the air just to get some some breeze. And I've never even moved the dang thing. So, yeah. So uh, I can't recommend it. All right. Moving on. All right. Last one, which is I think something we actually addressed maybe last week or so. Uh, This is from Michael. I'm finishing my basement for the purpose of making it my drum studio slash band practice room it's a nice size basement but the ceilings are only seven feet my friend recommended i build a small drum riser for the kit but i'm not sure how necessary that is especially with such low ceilings so the questions are what is the drum riser's sonic purpose and is that sonic purpose necessary to achieve in a home studio Hmm. we talked about this when you were talking about your rug exactly depends on your slab yeah, I think if you're in the basement, you're probably setting your drums up on concrete, and a riser will do nothing but make the drums in the room sound worse. <laughs> and make you closer to the ceiling, which you're going to... You can't do stick flips anymore. Great. <laughs> Thanks, bandmate. <laughs> so what is the sonic purpose of a riser? I don't think there is. It's a visual purpose no. to get your head physically on the same plane as the rest of your band. Because you're sitting down. Because exactly. you're sitting down. Um, if anything, it, 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 it creates sonic problems. So do not build a drum riser unless you have potential like flooding issues or something to deal with. But it's going to make the drum kit resonate in a weird way. And then you're going to wonder why your rack time is ringing every time you hit your snare drum. Right, Mike? <laughs> I completely agree. Uh, as Mr. Dawson has alluded to, I am currently playing drums on top of a cajon <laughs> with a J. Cajon. All right. Cajon. Thank you guys so much for sending in your questions. We absolutely appreciate it. Keep sending in your questions, and you can send audio questions as well to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Just label it podcast question, and we will answer it as quickly as we can. Now it is on to the greatest. This is a tease. This is the greatest pick of the week ever. I'm going to change some people's lives right now. Do it. Y'all not ready, but if you have a dollar thirty nine to spend, and if you don't, Damn, call me. Like, let's work it out. <laughs> but if you have a dollar thirty nine to spend, I want you to head on down to Rite Aid or Target or Walgreens and get yourself some Puffs Plus lotion with the scent of Vicks Vapor Rub. What? These, for people that have chronic runny noses like myself, if you've noticed since episode one, there's always a good... Uh, <laughs> I blow my nose about 400 times a day. 
To the point that I actually had to go see a doctor and go, is it brain fluid leaking out of my face? What is the deal? I'm not sick. I feel fine. Anyways, uh, so I'm telling you, Puffs Plus with Vicks built in, every time you blow your nose, oh my God, it's it'll it'll change your outlook on the, the work day. It, it's just, I mean, whew, Puffs Plus Plus with Vicks. Game changing. You're welcome. You want to you hear the description? <laughs> Puffs Plus Lotion. <laughs> All right, I won't give you the description, but I'm telling you, it's game-changing. This thing has 672 reviews on RiteAid.com, all five stars. Oh, man. Changed the industry. Awesome. Good pick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how I can top that. Um, Ricola is my pick of the week. <laughs> Well, <laughs> glad the cleaning lady's coming tomorrow. <laughs> Get some of them Puffs Plus and use them right now. Jeez, uh, I, I got green tea everywhere. That was expensive tea, Dawson. <sighs> oh, uh, okay, what the heck's your pick? All right, my pick, pick of the week. If you're an Apple Music user, um, there's an awesome playlist called New Latitudes, which is all kind of modern modern contemporary jazz. So it's, it's kind of the Lewis Cole world. Uh, a lot of artists on there that I'd never heard of before. Some I'd heard of, but haven't given enough uh, proper attention. But one record in particular that if you don't have Apple Music, but you want some music to listen to, check out Aaron Parks' record called Little Big. Aaron Parks is a pianist that I knew him when he played acoustic jazz with Ari Honig's trio. But he's kind of morphed into this electronic, groovy jazz, kind of experimental, whatever we want to call that. I don't know what we call that, new fusion? I don't know. It's kind of like obviously Radiohead inspired electronic jazz with with acoustic piano and drums. So the drummer's name, who I'd never heard of this gentleman, his name is Tommy Crane. Apparently he's based here in New York, but he has no online profile to speak of that I could find. But he plays really beautiful stuff. Kind of a uh, Mark Juliana, Nate Wood, but maybe a little more in the singer-songwriter approach to that style. Really cool. So the record is called Little Big by Aaron Parks, and that playlist on Apple Music is called New Latitudes. Awesome, man. Um, I'm sorry that that just completely got overshadowed by how awesome my pick was, but <laughs> good, good try, man. Yeah, well done. You got nothing on Vix. Oh, Oof. Okay, gracious. buddy, we've got some outro music going on. <laughs> I love outro beats. This one, um, I was asked to make it anonymous, but I will warn you now: this is going to be a very intense <laughs> outro beat so you might want to pull the volume down a little bit now <laughs> alright brother well, have, a, have a great clinic and uh, I will see you next week alright see ya later bud <laughs>